Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, the Bible says in verse number 5, But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. Um, again, we see in that fifth verse, we have two heads being spoken about, the, phys- the woman's physical head and then her spiritual head. So we see that same theme pop up in verse number five. And remember last week we looked at, uh, we talked about the man and we went back and we looked at men who were ministering to the Lord and had their head covered mm-hmm. with a mitre. Remember we did all that? Mm-hmm. Well, when you run the prophetesses in the Bible, you know what you're going to find? Not a one of them God, does God mention that they have anything on their head, mm-hmm. which I, find, I found to be a rather ironic contrast. Mm-hmm. You say, well, what does that mean? I don't know exactly what it means. All I know is when I was studying out, that contrast was very clear. Men were having things on their head. And women, when we see this in verse uh, number 5 in 1 Corinthians 11, the women don't. In in Exodus chapter 15, it says, And Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And so you have Miriam, Moses and Aaron's sister, uh, making mention here, it's made mention she's a prophetess, but we don't see anything else about she has something additional on her head. I know it's Old Testament, but we'll run all the verses on it. In Judges 4, Deborah is mentioned. And then the entire chapter 5, it's dedicated to her song to the Lord. And then it ends in the last verse. It's a prayer. And throughout all of that, we don't see anything where Deborah, where the Lord says that she's praying or she's prophesying or she's ministering somehow with something additional on her head. Second uh, Kings 22, Huldah the prophetess, that's in Second Kings 22, uh, sends back word. Uh, Josiah finds the book of the law and then he sends folks out. They find Huldah the prophetess. Huldah the prophetess says, yeah, it's the, the, the people of Judah have left God. They're, they've gone after idols. And yeah, bring that's, that's a report. Bring it back to, to, to Josiah. And so... Uh, you know, they do, and Josiah, you know, goes with the prophetess, and uh, no mention of her, not no mention much of her anywhere else in the Bible, but again, nothing. If there was a time or place for God to put something in the Bible about a woman having something additional on her head, it would kind of make sense to be in these cross-references about prophetesses. We don't see it. In Isaiah 8, Isaiah's wife is called a prophetess. And that's all we know. <laughs> that's all we know about it, about his wife. And that uh, uh, they had a son, Beher Shalahashbaz. I think that was the longest name mm-hmm. in the Bible. I guess if you're trying to talk your wife and naming your kid that, you better call it a prophetess. But nonetheless, that's the longest name, I believe, found in Word of God. And then Luke chapter 2 in the New Testament, Anna. Um, 
her husband dies. She's, she was married seven years. Her husband died. Uh, so she was a young woman. She never got remarried, only enjoyed seven years of marriage with her husband. And it's what's spoken about her is in the morning and in the evening, she can be found at the temple and she's praying. We don't see anything there mentioned either. The only two other times we see prophetesses mentioned in the word of God is Nehemiah 6, where Nodiah is a false prophetess. And she tried to put a stop to the building of, uh, of the wall. And in the city, when she did that the same way people try to get stuff to stop nowadays. They just stir up the people. And uh, that's what she did is she's a false prophetess. And then, uh, of course, everybody knows Jezebel, Revelation 2. And the false prophetess need to watch out for her because especially young fellas, men, she'll seduce you and lead you into things you ought not be into. So those are the two examples of false prophetesses in the Bible. And all eight cross-references that I could find, speaking of prophetesses in the Bible, I don't see any mention of anything additional on the head. So how do we get that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to give a reason on how they get there, and then we'll see, uh, we'll see where it goes when we finish. Uh, let's get 1 Timothy chapter number 2 and 1 Corinthians 14. And we talked about this before. You try to look for places in the Bible where God would kind of give you another reference to say, okay, that makes sense. I can see where that is. And 1 Timothy chapter 2, I believe, would have been one of the verses God would have put something more in if women needed to put something additional on their head. 1 Timothy chapter number 2, verse number 9 the Bible says, in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety. We see a list of things and we don't see any breakout. We don't see any parentheses. We see a parentheses in verse number 10. We don't see any breakout of parentheses where God is saying, okay, and something else on your head. Now, it doesn't mean he's not saying it in another place. It's just when I try to run these other places to find to try to find a spot to get a cross-reference, I can't find it. Uh, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. And we ran the cross-reference of 1 Peter, the other uh, sermon, and said God's not saying you can't braid your hair where gold or pearls or costly array because in the cross-reference, he also mentions nor the putting on of apparel. And we all know that that would just be ridiculous god would never say that nor does he mean that he wants you to put on apparel he's talking about uh if you're going to be modest it's going to include shamefacedness and sobriety and professing godliness and all of that comes from the heart and so that heart attitude is displayed in the outward things ladies that you do and men that we do and so God doesn't want you braiding up your hair if you're trying to fix it up to be this big, you know, you're trying to do the peacock walk or something. Look at everybody, look at me and look at my wings, you know. Uh, and fellas, the same thing, you know. God doesn't want us uh, doing outward things where, you know, we're walking around town like a peacock. Say, hey, everybody look at my feathers. And God's not, God doesn't want that. It's not that he's not concerned with the outward. It's just that he wants the outward to be a proper reflection of the inward. 
so you can braid your hair that's fine you can wear gold you can wear pearls um or costly array but which becometh women professing godliness so what's the professing going to be it should be godliness with good works and then it says let the women learn in silence that's what we're going to key in on as we make this point tonight with all subjection but i suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man but to be in silence we talked about this before we know this is in direct uh, context of the church and the corporate gathering and that's why Beth Moore and Paula White and uh, uh, the other one that's popular, Myers. Myers, Joyce Myers, they're out of the will of God because God tells them to sit down and be quiet. And the men are what God has put for the order of the church to do that. That doesn't mean women can't minister. It's just God has an order and the men are the one that are teaching and preaching the word of God in a mixed assembly. We talked about all that. She can go out, she can witness, she can prophesy that way. And when we see the word prophesy, it should mean one of two things in our Bible. One is a foretelling of truth. And we understand that. Old Testament prophets and a foretelling of truth. Or today, if you're going to be a prophetess or a prophet, you would be a foreteller of truth. I'm not foretelling everything. It's all been foretold. All I am doing and all you would be doing would be foretelling what has already been foretold, if that makes sense. So you are free to do that. You're, you're free to foretell truth. And the woman here, God's order says, let the men do the teaching and the preaching. And everybody see that pretty clear, right? You couldn't miss it unless you wanted to. Now go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 14, and I'm going somewhere with this, so stay with me. 1 Corinthians 14, look at verse number 33, let's start at. 14. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. So this is not just for the church at Corinth. It's for all the churches of the saints. That means it's applicable for us today. Let your women learn, I'm sorry, let your women keep silence in the churches. It doesn't say let your women keep silence on the square out in public. It's let your women keep silent in the churches for it is not permitted unto them to speak where? In the church, it's talking about the context of a mixed assembly, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. Genesis chapter 3, let's go there real quick. Genesis chapter number 3. And ladies, I'd submit to you that uh, this, this here is the law in Genesis 3 verse 16. Uh, everybody there, Genesis 3, verse 16. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. And yeah, that's going to be rough. And I would submit to you that's, not pro that's probably not the roughest part of being a Christian lady, a Christian woman. 
the, the, the toughest part is, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, <laughs> and he shall rule over thee. Now, you got to admit, that's a tough verse. It's a tough verse. Because you have to have a desire to your husband who isn't like Jesus Christ all the time and who doesn't model the Lord all the time and who messes up depending on what day of the week you ask her just a little bit or a lot or too much or you, you, you see the problem it's easier to just have kids <laughs> even though that is you know that pain is that's a real thing but that's what it's talking about or at least that's the cross reference there in first Corinthians chapter number 11 so there's some order that God had made and he wants women to be silent in the churches. First Timothy 2, it says, learn in silence. Now look at verse number one, a couple of things before I get to the main point I want to get to. Verse number one in First Corinthians 14, it says, follow after charity. First Corinthians 14, when that chapter starts off, that's the most important thing that we should get out of the whole chapter. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. In other words, if you're going to prophesy, if you're going to forth tell truth, do you know what God wants you to have first? Charity. So it comes out right. I have been guilty of this. And I have been around others that have been guilty of this. I certainly don't want to be guilty. I'd rather be guilty of this if I'm not in the position of leadership because you get a little more room for error. But if you're in a position of leadership, you have a lesser room for error. Just if you ever were a manager on the job or if you ever were the boss of something, you know this to be true. People... And I've done this. I've said things that are right without charity. Have you ever done that? <laughs> would you? So what would you rather do? Say something wrong, but you say it with charity? Or say something right, but you don't have any charity? That's a tough one, isn't it? Because we all know that the ideal is we should have both. The problem is we don't always do both. We should strive for both. Mm -hmm. And I believe what God's saying is, look, you've got, you guys, you got spiritual gifts. And you're going to prophesy. Make sure you got charity first and you won't mess the thing up. Verses number two, you see edification. Verse number four, you see edification. Verse number five. You see edification. Uh, verse number four, edif edification or edifieth comes up twice. It's four times God speaks of edification because he wants his people to be edified. That's why. It's very important to for us to grasp that in the 14th chapter. And then in verse number seven, and even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds. How shall it be known what is piped or harped? 
Because if you hear taps being played, does that communicate something to you? There's no words to that. Music is a communicative tool, and there's distinction in sounds. Da 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 da. You know, you, 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 it's, a, it's a sound that communicates something. Hey, let's go on to battle. And they did this masterfully in the silent movies. Uh, or, you know, they, they just put some, you know, the train's coming and, you know, you get film it and they put a music track over it. But there's a distinction in sound. And in 1 Corinthians 11, don't we see that? God is giving distinctions between men and women. And we're not trying to get rid of the distinction. We're just trying to understand, is God drawing a distinction? And is God commanding an outward visible sign that includes putting something or not putting something else on top of your hair? Because if it's there, I want to do it. And if it's not there, we shouldn't be doing it. Make, make, make sense? Uh, verse 12, we see edification again. Verse 16. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, verse 17 at the end here, not edified. All the way down to verse number 26. Let all things be done unto edifying. God wants his people and his saints, those in the churches, to be edified. That's the whole idea of us gathering. He wants his saints to be edified. And if there's any distinction that's to be made in 1 Corinthians 14 is that make sure you got that going on. You're not just coming together to fight and quarrel. You're not just coming together to get some social time. You're coming together to get edified. You can do that by getting into God's word. And then verse 33, we see confusion. And then at the end of the chapter, we see, let all things be done decently and in order. He said, Brother Jimmy, you have gone a long way. And where are you getting at? Here's what I'm getting at. There's a distinction between men and women. God wants things done decently and in order. He's laid out that order for men to be preachers in the churches when you're gathered together corporately and women are not to be preaching. That's why we won't call on the ladies to come up and preach. Make, make sense. Everybody, everybody gets that. Mm -hmm. Except you can get an allowance if you've got, guess what, on your head. A head covering. Because 1 Corinthians 11 says, 1 Corinthians 11 says that for, uh, verse number five, but every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. Well, if she's going to pray or she's going to prophesy, that's great. They would say, now, when I say they, I think I said this before, not everybody that head covers subscribes to uh, everything everybody else subscribes to that head covers. 
It's kind of like Calvinism. They don't all agree on everything. Some are five, some are four, some are three, some are two, some are one, some are none, some are... But there are those that say the way around a woman being, being able to teach is 1 Corinthians 11. So when a woman says to me, hey, can I address the congregation? I'm not trying to be mean or rude or a bad guy when I say, well, I'm sorry, It'd probably be better if you just kind of address the ladies. We can, we can make that happen. But um, I don't really think it's a great idea to. Now, why would a woman say that? I don't know. But my only guess is if you're wearing a head covering, you think that you have an allowance because now you can prophesy because you're under God's order. Except, no, you're not. <laughs> First, First Timothy and First Corinthians 14 makes it very clear that men are to be preachers and teachers in the mixed congregation. You don't get an allowance because you come in and you've got a cloth or a veil, or a, uh, uh, a scarf. You don't, get, you don't get an allowance because it says, well, I have my head covered, and the other ladies don't have their head covered, and that's why they can't prophesy. But since this is talking to the church, and I have something on top of my head, I'm in proper submission to the Lord, and so therefore I can prophesy rightfully. No, you can't. No, you can't. So, when they read this verse, look at verse number five. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. If she doesn't have her hair or she doesn't have her long hair on her head, how can she have her hair cut off? They are saying that this verse means that if she's not going to wear a head covering, then she might as well cut off her hair. In other words, what they're trying to argue is, why would God say, if it's just your hair, to cut off your hair if you don't have your hair? It's a bit of a play on words, but all it's saying is hair. Look at the look at the beginning of it. Every every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered. Now look at verse number fifteen. For her hair is given her for a covering. Is the covering defined in the chapter of the? What is the covering? In this context, it's hair. God defines it. He says, covered, uncovered, and he defines specifically in this chapter what he is specifically talking about in this chapter, and that is her hair. Now it says, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. That would be shaved. You would shave your head bald. Now when I was growing up as a as a 
rebellious teenager. I listened to some of the world's music, and there was this, there was this, I was going to say lady, but really just a Jezebel that decided to just shave her head bald and make a big, big, big thing of that. And she became a very, very popular, popular artist. I'll, if you don't already know who I'm talking about, I'll tell you after the message. But she got a real big, uh, real big crowd going. She got some lady just shaved her head bald, man. That'll bring a crowd. So what's God saying? Every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered. That means the covering or the uncovering defined is long hair or short hair. If a woman chops off her hair and she has short hair, you might as well just shave bald. That's what God's saying. He's not saying if you don't have something additional on your head, you might as well shave yourself bald. He's saying you chop off your locks and you cut your hair like a boy's haircut, then you might as well just shave yourself bald. All he is saying, it's, it's about hair. It's about hair. But every woman, uh, sorry, I'm sorry, verse 6. For if the woman be not covered, meaning the covering is her long hair, if she doesn't have her long hair, let her also be shorn. So God says, look, ladies, if you don't, have long hair. It's just as bad as if you shave yourself bald, or it's just as bad if you just, like you would a sheep, shear, you just got the buzz cut. That's all he is comparing it to. You got a shaved head bald, or you got just a, a you know the buzz cut. Give me the number one <laughs> on the clippers. Just getting sheared like. Well, how do they get to something else on the head? We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Look at verse number seven. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head. Meaning, grow his hair long. For as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Now, outward signs are not a bad thing in Christianity. It's just not the main thing. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. um, back in Leviticus 30, uh, 19, verse 32, the Bible said, Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head and honor the face of the old man and fear thy God. I am the Lord. The hoary head, the white hair, the gray hair. Do you know what you do? You rise up. You, you would get up off of your chair as an outward sign of what? Respect. God isn't against outward signs. He lays it out in 1 Corinthians 11. This hair is an outward sign. It's a distinction between the sexes. Boys uh, and men, short hair, women and lay, uh, girls have long hair. And that's all God is saying. He's making a distinction on that. And that outward sign is visible to the world that says, okay, I am in the order that God has designed. When you see, when you go out in public and you'll see this around town, you'll see they'll have something else on their head. What they are saying or what they believe is that, ladies, because you don't have something on your head, you're not in the order and the design that God has made. And 
I kind of see where they're going, but I just don't see it in the chapter unless we do something, which we're going to do in a minute. Uh, the other one see in the New Testament in 1 Timothy 5, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. So you have elders that are ruling well. That's an outward sign. In other words, everybody can see is, is, is the rule done well and decent in order or is it not? So God's not against outward signs. It's just we have to be careful that we don't take it to an extreme and we mess up or we say more than what God is actually saying. I said earlier, if God is saying, ladies, that you need an additional covering on your head, believe me, I'd be the guy to tell you. <laughs> but I just don't see it. I don't see it. Yes, God does want men and women to look different. I, I concede to that point, and I'm not arguing against that point. But there is a distinction that's made here, and it's not a prayer cloth. It's not putting a tarp on your head and saying, look, I've got it, and you don't. It's not there. This is why I say all the time, we've got to read the Bible, we've got to look at the words, we've got to understand the Bible. So if, if somebody says, well, I've listened enough, and it's all, I don't want to say it's all the same, but a lot of it's regurgitating the same information. If Tertullian says something, if John Calvin says something, if Wesley says something, if John MacArthur says something, if R.C. Sproul says something, and the Bible says something different, who are you going to go with? You see what I mean? There's this idea that, well, all of these theologians and all these, um, I understand Tertullian was a you know, church father, right? You know, we got Trinity. He was the first one coined to use that word. Oh, great. But when... Tertullian lines up with the Word of God, or John Calvin lines up with the Word of God, we go with them. But when they don't, we don't throw out the Word of God because somebody that we respect has a better idea because their idea isn't better. Amen. And they all say, or they say that they've said that, well, that means an additional veil. But we read this over and over, and it seems like the define the, the the definition God gives in this chapter is hair is the covering. Amen. Hair is the covering. Well, how do we get to a veil? How do we get to something else? Because covering in the Greek means or the word for covering in the Greek is katakalupto. Now, if I know that word and you don't know that word, you might think that I'm pretty smart, but I just listened to the stuff and, you know, read through it. I don't know Greek, but katakalupto is the Greek word that was used to translate this chapter on covering. And so when you run in Strong's Concordance or you go to a Greek grammar dictionary, you will see catacalupto. And do you know what the second definition will be? To veil. Except they don't tell you what the first definition is, which is to cover. <laughs> it's, it's like, so you go to the Greek to get a definition from the Greek and then you change the word of God because you've got a doctrine that you want to preach. 
And that's a dangerous place or it's a dangerous thing to do. Now, I'm going to show you an example of that and because I think, well, first, let me read you some things that I've taken direct quotes from some of the literature concerning the head covering movement. Uh, the woman who refuses to wear the veil by that act projects herself into a man's position, usurping authority over him and at the same time repudiating the divine authority under which he stands. Now, I don't believe that as far as you, I don't believe that any more than you believe it, but there are many that do. And they say the non-wearing of the covering is equally as shameful as having, you know, just having a buzz cut and, you know, get the boy's haircut and all that. It's a divine verdict that no amount of human defiance can reverse. So there's this idea that this doctrine has been lost and it's up to us to be able to get this back into the church. This is where this, the Mennonite movement uh, and the Mennonite denomination has that as a very strict part of becoming a member of the church. Some of them, and again, when I say they, it doesn't, I'm not saying all of them. Some of, because, you know, that group split too. Some of them will say, you ain't saved. Mm -hmm. That covering is part of you keeping your salvation. Now, where do you get that? You don't get it from the Bible. <laughs> you get it from the pride that comes up in man's heart when he's able to do something to present himself righteous. And God says, just, I mean, just go through all the stuff in Galatians and you see that all that's just hocus pocus. It, it, does, it makes not a hill of beans on your salvation whether you have a tarp on your head or no tarp. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter a hill of beans if you shave your head, ladies, or don't shave your head when it comes to your salvation. You can get saved, have long hair, go to the barber, get it all shaved. What do you think? You lose your salvation? Come on. Mm -hmm. It's the most ridiculous thing. Yet it's very subtle when it sneaks into some of those Mennonite groups. Now, I'm not saying they're not saved. I'm saying if they believe that that is for their salvation, then they ain't saved. <laughs> they trust Christ, they're just as saved as you and I are. But I'm going to show you Go to John chapter 21, because this is an easy one. If you've been saved any length of time, you have heard this preached, or you have watched this, or listened to this on a sermon, or watched this on YouTube. But this is a very common teaching in John 21. I think everybody can agree, when I, when I, when I go to the chapter and I read it, you're going to be, oh yeah, I've heard that, I've heard that. First, uh, or John 21, verse number 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. And so what Jesus really said was, he didn't say, do you love me? He said, do you agape me? 
because agape in Greek means love. And then uh, Peter answered and he said, Jesus says, do you agape me? And Peter says, well, I phileo you because there's agape and there's phileo love. And then when we get to the 16th verse, it's the same thing. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my sheep. So the second time Jesus asked him, do you agape me? And Peter answers the second time, I phileo you, Lord. You've got agape and phileo. What's agape? It's a deep, personal, intimate style love. And phileo is just a friendly, kind of okay type love. And so Jesus asked him, do you, do you, do you, Love me tenderly. Do you, do, do you really, really, from a heartfelt, deep, intimate, love me? And so, what does Peter say? No, Lord, I just kind of casual love you. That's typically how the teaching goes. And then in the last verse, on verse number 17, he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Jesus isn't getting the answer he's expecting from Peter. So Jesus now, instead of saying, Simon Peter, do you agape me? He says, no. He says in, in this verse, do you phileo? He's not getting the answer he's expecting. Watch what it says. Peter was grieved because the Lord changed from agape to phileo is what they're kind of getting at. That's why Peter was grieved. He changed from agape to phileo, was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. So Peter the third time says, I flail you. Now, just, I usually don't say, you know, put your hand, slip your hand up. <laughs> Close your eye and bow your head and slip your hand. But slip your hand up if you've heard that before. Is this to probably totally foreign to, to, to you in the front row? But So they're trying to bring out in the Greek that we really don't have what we need in the English. So we've got to go to the Greek and we've got to get a deep understanding of this word love. Is it agape love or is it phileo love? Go to John chapter 5 and I'm going to ask you a question. And we're going to go to the Greek to get the answer. John chapter 5 verse number 20. John 5, verse 20. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. In John chapter 5, verse 20, would you say in the Greek that's agape love or phileo love? Put your hand up if you say it's agape, deep, intimate, personal love. Except in the Greek, it's phileo. Now watch. Go to John chapter 16. And you can check me out on this, but go to John chapter, chapter 16. And I want you to give me the answer on what you think. John 16, verse 27. John 16, verse number 27. For the Father himself loveth you 
because you have loved me and have believed that I came out from God. For the Father himself loveth you. In the Greek, would that be agape or phileo? Yes. Put your hand up if you think it's agape. Yeah, I figured. It's actually phileo. You would think, based on the teaching on in John 21 that we went through, you would think it would have to be agape. Mm -hmm. But in the Greek, it's not. Go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Verse number 37. Matthew 10, 37. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Would you say in the Greek, in Matthew 10, 37, is that agape or phileo? Put your hand up if you think it's agape. Eh, wrong, it's phileo. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16. I'm going somewhere with this. And we'll close with it. 1 Corinthians 16. Verse 24. 1 Corinthians 16. Last verse. 24. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. That's actually agape in the Greek. That would be agape. Agape. Let's go to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Verse number 4. Titus 2 verse 4. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands. Agape or phileo? Yeah, you kids were right. Phileo. This is in the Greek. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verse number 4. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior uh, toward man appeared. Agape or phileo? Agape. It's phileo. <laughs> In the Greek, it's phileo. Now, if you haven't figured out where I'm going with this yet, you will in a minute. Go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 5, verse number 28. Ephesians 5, 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Agape, deep, deep, intimate, personal style love, or just kind of an okay kind of pal style love. Agape or phileo? It's to be agape, yeah. But... You, it is. In the Greek, it's agape. In Ephesians chapter number 5. Last one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is going to be a trick question. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, verse number 9. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse number 9. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. So you've got brotherly love mentioned in the beginning of the chapter, and then this love one another, 
at the end of the chapter. So he's, he's talking about this brotherly love, and he says, for yourselves taught of God to love one another. He kind of defines what brotherly love is. Everybody see that in verse 9? Now, agape or phileo? both he uses agape the Greek is agape and phileo and why do I point it out it's it's the brotherly love is then defined you talk to love one another and you know you know why we did all that because it's the same word and so what happens is somebody takes John chapter 21 and they go through that teaching and they say okay that teaching is the standard. When we run that standard and we look at some of the other verses, it doesn't hold up. Because you read verses where oh, it's got to be deep. in the... And it's not in the Greek. Why? Because it doesn't matter a hill of beans. We got the word right. And if you're going to use that rule, well, look, we got to go to the Greek to really get the meaning of this. Yet, when we try to get the meaning of this in other passages, and it goes against the rule that was designed to help us understand the difference between agape and phileo, again, what are we going to go with? This standard of teaching, or are we going to go with what the Bible says? Because if you're going to run verses like that, you've got to be able to apply it to all the verses where agape and phileo are used. Now, why do I point all that out? Because if you want to get ladies to wear a head covering, all you got to do is go to the Greek. And you point out to them, look, I know what your Bible says, but in the Greek, here's what it really says. Covering means katakalupto in the Greek, and katakalupto is a veil. And so you've got to have this veil covering, or you don't really get what God's trying to teach in the passage. Except what they don't tell you is that word catacalupto also means to cover, which we got right here anyway. Mm -hmm. And all you had to do was read it mm -hmm. and believe it, not try to go to an outside source to correct it or not try to come up with, like we saw in John 21, a teaching. And then that teaching becomes the standard. And so that's what. I'm trying to bring out as the main part of how they get to you need something additional. They don't get it out of reading the Bible. They get it out of going to the Greek and making a doctrine out of that by giving the word a different definition. And if you can change the definition, now you can get women to feel like, well, look, I how many Christian women do you know that really want to dishonor their head? They don't. <laughs> they want to live for the Lord. So that's what I'm saying. We just got to be careful that we don't go farther than what the, we don't go beyond what God says. But that's the, Amen. that's the catacalupto teaching. Remember that word because you probably won't hear it again for a while. Catacalupto. <laughs> All right. Let's Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. 
In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.